Well, if you have ever been fortunate enough to receive a FaceTime call uh, from the tablet of our good friend Trenton Eckford, um, I, probably not many of you have had that privilege. Believe me, I have many times. I, uh, uh, Trent calls normally multiple times a day. We have the chance to, uh, to try to catch up. Uh, but you will likely, if you are uh, uh, blessed enough to receive that call, you will likely hear this greeting to begin. What's the word? What's the word? Now, Trent likes asking what the word is. I don't know whether I can give him truly what the word is. Uh, I want to reflect on what's the word today. And I don't mean that as a kind of hip greeting or anything along the, uh, the, 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 uh, of that sort. What I'm suggesting is that it is, should strike us as interesting that among all the names of Jesus that we could focus on in this Christmas season, uh, I want to focus on the one that John titles him in that last reading that Mark read for us this evening. The Word. Now, if you just think of the other names that we could meditate on for Jesus, one would certainly be Emmanuel. What was prophesied in the Old Testament, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin would conceive, would bring forth a son, that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, God with us, Emmanuel. Another name that we think of at Christmas time is Christ. That's what the angel said. One is born unto you in Bethlehem. Who is he? He is the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Savior. Christ, the words Christ means, uh, means the anointed one. It, it is the New Testament name for the Messiah. We think of the Christ. We think of the Lord we could use to refer to him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ, the Lord. We could think of his given name, Jesus. That name means deliverer. That is what his name literally means. He came to be a savior. But for a few moments this afternoon, I'd like, us to fo I'd like to focus our attention on what it means that Jesus is the Word. That the Word, verse 14 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and that this Word was full of of grace and truth. What is the word? What does it mean for us? And what profit can we glean from it in this Christmas season? I want to look at just three aspects of this word to really understand why John called Jesus the word and what it means for us. What, first of all, what does it mean? What does that word, word, mean? Well, the interesting thing is that John used a, a Greek word that you really almost can't translate in, into English and get its full meaning in any one word. In fact, my understanding from my study is that some of the old Bible translators like Jerome and others had a hard time because they didn't know how to translate this Greek word into something that could be comprehended in one English word like word. It's more than that. 
because it carried with it all this wealth of meaning from descriptions and discussions over the century. The Greek word is logos. Jesus, the Holy Spirit breathed through John, is the logos. Now, to understand what that word means, you have to understand a little bit about what that word would have communicated to a first century Jew or Greek who was reading what John wrote for the first time. The Logos. That word actually dated many hundreds of years before Christ into Greek philosophical thinking. They used that word, logos. In fact, we think the first one to use it, at least we can see in recorded history, is a man named Heraclitus. Heraclitus was a Greek philosopher around the 500 uh, or so BC, 500 years or so before Jesus ever came. And he used that word logos in the Greek to refer to a kind of governing principle of reason and order and logic in the world. And this became a kind of staple of Greek philosophy, of Greek thought. Do you remember the Stoics? Have you ever heard it described, the Stoics? We read of them in the scripture. It's a philosophical strain of thought that began with the Greeks. And the Stoics believed that there was just some impersonal reason, logic, force, power up there in the universe. And it was responsible for the universe coming into being. And you know what? You couldn't really fight against it. And so what was the essential Stoic creed? You kind of grit your teeth and you grin and you bear it. There's some impersonal force up there that makes the world go round. And to them, that, in, that kind of impersonal, distant, creative logic, intelligence was logos. It was kind of like the divine power that keeps everything moving together. And so by the time Jesus came, for many hundreds of years, the Greeks were very familiar with this term logos. It's, it's like that kind of intelligent designer up there who's distant from all of us and who just kind of makes everything go. Logos. But in fact, around Jesus' time, that idea of logos actually came into the Jewish consciousness as well, a Jewish kind of philosophy. There was a man, philosopher named Philo. And Philo wrote of Logos as kind of being an, an intermediary, like a bridge between God, who, remember, God in the Old Testament was impossibly separated from his creation. You couldn't approach God. If you approached God, you were likely to die. Remember the teaching of the Old Testament law and, and when the law was given and the people frightened by the mountain smoking and shaking. That was God. He was up there. We're down here. And so we need an intermediary. We need a bridge. We need a, a logos. Philo discussed this kind of angel of the Lord in the Old Testament reflecting a kind of logos. But that word logos was also used to refer to the, to the word of God given in the Old Testament. Like the, the, the prophets would speak the logos of God. And so you have this idea, don't you? You have the idea of this, to the Greeks, this impersonal divine force that controls the universe and was responsible for its creation. To the Jews, you have this idea of this intermediary between God and man. And you also then have the broader meaning of just a, a communicated message. The logos is the message communicated from God 
to man. Now again, John sits down sometime probably around the year A.D. 90 or 95 to write the Gospel of John. And the word the Holy Spirit wants to get in is, when you talk about Jesus, you speak of him as the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, was the Logos. Now what's interesting here is how John describes Jesus in each one of these kinds of different ways. Notice what he says of him in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To the Greeks, this logos, this force in, in nature who was responsible, that was responsible for the creation. John says, I'm going to introduce that to you as Jesus. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This one that you call Logos is Jesus, the incarnate God, the Logos. To the Jews who would have thought of Logos as a mediation, someone coming between God and man, John introduces him to us as one in whom was life, and this life was the light of man. Verse 7, the same came for a witness, speaking of John, to bear witness to the, or I'm sorry, to bear witness of the light. Here in this conception, this Logos, Jesus is being presented as the message of God to humanity, the communication of God to human beings, not just as some kind of impersonal divine force, but the one who came down from heaven as the creator of all things to be the revelation of God himself to mankind. In the beginning was the Logos, that Logos we worship as Jesus. So what does this mean to say that he, that Jesus is the Logos? It is to say that he is the very intelligence, the purpose, the plan, the divine reason of God communicated to mankind as God's final declaration of who he is and what he expects from man. Now, this is exactly what Hebrews, I think, is getting at when it says God, who at sundry times and in diverse ways has spoken in the past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by whom? His Son, the Logos, the message, the divine reason from the Creator God to his created being, man. So what does Logos mean? Don't miss it. It comes with this rich history, this word that we have in our Bibles as the word, but meaning so much more, the kind of divine revelation and message of God in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. The second thing briefly I want to look at here this afternoon is how it was manifested how this word was manifested. And for here, let's pick it up again in verse 14. John says, and the word, the logos, there's that word again, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now in the Christmas season, 
you may have heard the term incarnation used. We, we celebrate at Christmas the incarnation. Do you know what that word means? It literally just means in flesh, in the body. A carnivore is one who eats meat, who eats flesh. And incarnation, same kind of root word, same kind of idea, is to be in the flesh. The, the teaching that we celebrate at Christmas is that God himself put on, if you will, an earth suit. That God in all his creative power and essence, in, in his form in which no human being can possibly look at in full and live, descended and was placed in a body. This is why it says here, the word was made flesh. He became something he had never been before. This pre-existing eternal word, this divine word by which God made the worlds. We read that of Jesus Christ elsewhere, that in by him all things consist. This is who Jesus is. And at a particular period in history, in a manger in Bethlehem, that absolute eternal creator God became a human being and took on a body. He became flesh. He was made a human body. And I just want you again to think of this picture of this logos, this message of God, this, this communication to humanity being wrapped in gift paper, in, in tissue paper. Like, 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 like you are going to go home tonight or tomorrow perhaps and give someone a gift. And, and that gift is going to be a message from you to them. You are going to be saying, I love you. You are going to be saying, you matter to me. This gift that I am giving you is communicating something from me to you. That is God's logos to us. The word descending in the gift paper, if you will, that he wrapped it in. What he presented it to us was us, was our flesh, was our humanity with all its weakness and with all its difficulty. Jesus voluntarily entered into that gift wrapping, voluntarily wrapped himself, enshrouded himself in our weak humanity as God's final revelation and message to mankind. And that's the Christmas story. That's why we come here and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, because that's what happened. God was made flesh. The Logos, the message of God, was brought down to earth for you. Now, I want you to think about this, just the power of this idea for a moment. Why does it matter that the Logos became flesh? Why does it matter that God put on a human suit? Well, if you, again, think back to that Old Testament conception of the Word. How did God communicate with his people in the Old Testament? Hebrews 1 tells us, by the prophets, by a spoken word. Remember what those prophets were always fond of saying? Thus saith the Lord. They were giving 
a word. The word. It was God's word. But in these last days, Jesus came not just to speak to you the word, but to show you the word. And we as human beings are in desperate need, not just of being told, but of being shown. I have begun to realize this more as I work down in the basement. And so I'm working away, and suddenly I'll hear the piano playing. And our piano is down in the basement, and, and it's Lars, our 10-year-old, who is practicing for his lessons. And if you know me, obviously, I, I, I'm kind of obsessive about music and about certain things. And so maybe we'll hear the rhythm a little bit off, or we'll hear a note a little bit off, and sometimes that just is sitting in my mind, and suddenly I'll go and I'll, I'll talk to Lars. Lars, try it, and I'll explain it to him. Now, what do you think is more helpful to Lars? If I explain it to him, no, Lars, not that rhythm. Or if I say, Lars, scoot over. Let me show you. Which do you think is more helpful? Clearly, if I show him, if I play it, and then he hears it, and he sees it, and I have not merely told him, I have shown him. And that's what Jesus did. That's what the incarnation is all about. That the word of God verbally given to his people by the prophets was brought alongside the final message of God in which Jesus in our humanity, in our earth suit says, watch! Here's what God expects from you. And now he has given us this book in which to reveal his person and how he lived, the way he loved God supremely, perfectly, the way he loved others selflessly to the point of death, even the death on the cross. It's as if God, in his final logos to man, held up his son in a human body and said, there, that's how you do it. That's how I made you to be. Not merely telling you. Showing you. That is how Jesus was manifested. That is how he was revealed to us. As in our weakness, our humanity, our frailty. So that we could see in the Logos of God the very nature, the very character that he wishes us to reveal. So what it means, the logos, the message of God to humanity in his son, how it was manifested in flesh, incarnate in our weakness and difficulty as God's revelation of what he expects from us. And third, and briefly, why it matters. Why does it matter that the word became flesh and dwelt among us? Well, one thing it reveals, as I said, who God is. It reveals what God expects from us. And therein lies the great rub of why it is so important. 
Because when I look at Jesus and I look at his life of worship toward God, of love and keeping of God's commandments, when I see the way that he loved others selflessly and at great cost to himself, I am revealed to be inadequate. I am revealed to be truly a failure in God's estimation. Because I can testify, I'm sure you can testify too, I regularly fail to love God supremely. I regularly fail to love others truly selflessly. I fail to keep those two great commandments of God and every lesser commandment, if you will, that falls underneath it. And so in that way, Jesus as the Logos in human form tells me, Peter, you have a problem because you are not right with God. You have not lived up to his ideal for humanity. And exactly this, to understand the incarnation is to understand what message God is sending to you that in your weakness and in your failure and in your failing to keep God's commandments, Jesus came, the word made flesh, to take upon himself your sin and my sin so that I could enter into the family of God by him so that my weakness would be replaced with the Logos's strength so that my failing would be replaced by the Logos's succeeding so that my sin would be replaced by the Logos's righteousness that he became flesh. He dwelt among us and he came, as verse 14 says, full of grace and truth. Grace to cover your failure. Truth to draw you close to God and bring you into fellowship with him. This is... An astonishing claim. The Logos, no longer that Greek impersonal force, yes, that had creative power. No, in the gospel, he comes low to us, living among us and walking with us. Yes, that Jewish conception of Logos as mediator. Now Jesus comes as a bridge for God to bridge our sinful humanity and come into relationship with us. But there's one more thing that we should meditate on before we close today. It's that the wonderful truth of Christmas is not only that the Word became flesh, the Logos became flesh. It's that the flesh now you and I can enter into the life of the Logos. Do you, read, do you see that? You see that concept of a bridge. The concept of a bridge is not that just, just that Jesus allowed God to become close to man. It's that Jesus came to allow man to, if you will, participate with God. And what the gospel teaches us is that Jesus came so that you would be like him. That the Logos became flesh so that when his Logos enters into your flesh, if you will, when Jesus comes to make his home with you, you can participate in the very divine life that can transform you to look like the Savior who came. 
to earth at Christmas. That's what the gospel is. It's not just a ticket for you to get into heaven and to avoid hell. It is the divine life come to earth so that you can fulfill the desires of God for humanity to love God more and more and more, to love yourself less and less and less, and to fulfill God's desire for humanity. You see, what is the message at Christmas? Oh, it is that Jesus came to save you. But it is that Jesus came to save you from yourself. He came to change you, to transform you by bringing the great divine power of God down from on high to live not just among you, but in and within you. So this Christmas season, as you ponder what's the word, I hope that you'll see that the word for you this Christmas is that Jesus came to make you something you have not been. As verse 13 tells us, I'm sorry, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. May that logos become more and more an image of your own character in the transformed life that Jesus came to give you.